We have four Sundays now, the last of which will be Christmas Day, in which we want to talk about joy and hope and peace and love as gifts of Christmas in the coming of Jesus. Uh, You might have noticed these four words are on the uh, Salvo's Christmas boxes. So today we get to talk about joy as a gift of Christmas from the coming of Jesus. Um, I was really glad to have the opportunity when Ben asked me to look into the subject of joy and the reason for my gladness was that I feel we're in a moment where it's a moment in history, if I can put it that way, when it's very easy to feel heavy-hearted rather than joyful. And as I've been preparing for today, I've had the words of a well-known song buzzing around in my head. It's a song about peace rather than joy, but I think the sentiments are the same and sort of capture the challenge of this moment. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? There are conflicts in different places around the world. Um, It it feels like the one in Europe has particularly um, grabbed our hearts and our distress, but it's certainly not the only one. Um, There's famine in parts of our world. We don't seem to have been able to escape from a pandemic. We've seen extreme weather events here and overseas. I, I think I've lost count of how many floods some of the people of our state have experienced. Can we really find joy as one of the gifts of Christmas in the coming of Jesus? Well, um, here's how I'd like to approach this. Uh, Let's start with the, the big, bold claim about Christmas joy in the announcement made by the angel to the shepherds uh, about the birth of Jesus. The angel said, I mean, this is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, if you want to follow. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So I want to start there and then have a little bit of a look at what comes before that and then what comes after that. Before that, in the sense of trying to get a feel for the hope and expectation and longing that there, uh, there were among the Jewish people and then following on after, not immediately after, but asking, how does this joy in the coming of the Saviour actually work out? I think we're used to hearing Christian joy is not just an emotion, Christian joy is not just feeling happy, nor is it somehow a way that you ignore or escape the real troubles of the world. So what does it actually mean in real life? So I start with the angel's announcement. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. Well, okay, the birth of a baby is usually a cause of joy. But not usually with the claim that it's joy for all the people and not usually so important that it's announced by an angel. And of course, 
as I read you, the angel goes straight on to say why the birth of this baby is good news of great joy. He says, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born for you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Um, This child is described in the the most extravagant terms imaginable. Saviour, Messiah, Lord. This is good news of great joy because hundreds of years of God's promises, hundreds of years of Jewish hopes and longings are gathered up in these names, these titles, Saviour, Messiah, Lord. And by the way, yes, at this moment so far, it is particularly Jewish hopes and longings, but even before we get to the end of chapter 2 in Luke's Gospel, it becomes very clear that what's going on here is, is bigger than just Israel. Saviour, Messiah, Lord. Saviour means the one who rescues, the one who delivers. In the Old Testament, often God is called the saviour of his people. Messiah means God's special anointed servant. And Lord, well, God himself is called Lord. So this is huge. These are, these are banner headlines to call this newborn baby Saviour, Messiah, Lord. But we read that, we come to this, we perhaps don't have the kind of background that the people of the Bible had. Can we get some sense of the setting here? I've heard, heard it said, if Jesus is the answer, what was the question? So what was the need or, or hope which is being answered by these events? Well, I think we can get a little bit of help here if we turn back just one page in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I'm not sure quite, quite what's the version of that if you're looking on a, an electronic device. Turn back one page, how you do that. But Luke chapter 1, because Luke chapter 1 gives us a bit of a window into the hopes which faithful people of God had held on to for years and years and with a strong sense that those hopes were being fulfilled now in these events. Two important people that we meet in Luke chapter 1 are Zechariah, who becomes the father of John the Baptist, and Mary, who becomes the mother of Jesus. And each of them receives a visit from the angel Gabriel to tell them what will be their role in what God is doing here. And each of those two breaks out in praise to God when they hear about God's plans and the fulfilment of God's plans. Let's just have a little bit of a look in Zechariah's song of praise and see what he expresses of hope and fulfilment. Um, So I'm back in Luke chapter 1 and I'll read a bit from verse 67. 67. His father, that's John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness 
before him all our days. Zechariah sees the events that are starting to unfold and he sees it connected to God's promises way back, as far back as Abraham. And he saw those promises as promises of freedom for his people, freedom from their enemies, freedom to serve God, to be his people. This was his hope for salvation, which was nurtured by the Old Testament scriptures. And now in these events leading up to what we call Christmas, he feels he can already say God has come to his people and redeemed them. God has raised up a horn of salvation. And I noticed as I was looking at this this week and I was um, looking again at last week's message, this is in the house of David. There's a nice connection back to the story of Ruth which we were in last week. Zechariah's hope has something of a focus on the people of Israel, doesn't it? But it's not just a political program. He sees that what God is doing here will touch people personally. So let me read a bit more. Luke chapter 1 and verse 76. And now he's addressing John, his son. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. The Lord who is coming after John will bring salvation that will mean forgiveness of sins, the tender mercy of God, release from the shadow of death and peace. So that's just a little bit of a look at the the backstory, so to speak, in Luke chapter 1. The backstory of the angel's announcement of good news of great joy. It's good news of great joy because it has been a long backstory of hope and longing and waiting and disappointment and frustration in the long hope and waiting. It's good news of great joy because God is fulfilling those ancient promises, bringing them to reality. So, how did it work out? The angel proclaims the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. Where is this joy? That's a gift of Christmas. Well, to try to answer that, I had a look at lots of places where the New Testament talks about joy, and there are a lot of them. May I give you just three little snapshots, three ways that we can experience the joy that comes through this Saviour who is Messiah and Lord. Three Uh, aspects of joy that I think are particularly valuable. This is very subjective, but here are three snapshots that that I think are really precious to us. Snapshot one, joy in the risen Lord. At the other end of Luke's gospel, as Luke reports the resurrection of Jesus, he tells of the great joy of the disciples in finding that their master was alive from the dead. He says, at first, they didn't believe it because of joy. 
and amazement. But then they met with Jesus after the risen Lord was taken from them up to heaven. Luke tells us they worshipped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. There is great joy in knowing that the one that you trust and follow is alive. This assures us of his victory over death. It guarantees our hope for life with him beyond death. It shows God's stamp of approval on the death of Jesus for our forgiveness. It underlines with great emphasis that he is Lord. That was part of the angel's announcement, wasn't it? He is Lord. Everything in this world and the next is under his authority. Even the scary, distressing things that I mentioned at the start. There's a place where the writer to the Hebrews refers to human beings as people who were held in slavery by their fear of death. Held in slavery by their fear of death. I like how it's expressed in the message translation. Scared to death of death. Now, we never want to be glib or shallow about our great enemy. But there is real joy here. Our master is alive. My second snapshot is closely related to this. Maybe it's almost a different way of saying the same thing. There is joy in knowing him. It's not just that he is Lord over life and death in some kind of historic way out there. There is joy in knowing him personally, intimately. I love how the Apostle Peter describes this writing in his first letter. He writes about the hope that believers have thanks to the resurrection of Jesus and he says though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy an inexpressible and glorious joy it's as if Peter can't find enough words to describe the joy that he wants to portray. This is the joy of knowing and trusting this Jesus who is alive, not dead. The Jesus who guarantees your eternal future and sustains you along the way. People of my generation and older might remember a song that we used to sing in youth groups with a very cheerful song, a cheerful tune. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Sounds a bit shallow, doesn't it? But there's a second verse, and in the second verse, you squeeze lots more words into the same tune. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. (laughs) I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. It strikes me... There's some real insight there. The wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer, that's the joy, 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 joy down in my heart to know him and his love. And I think the same thing comes out in those places in the letters of the Apostle Paul where he urges believers to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice always. If you know Jesus and all the blessings that he brings, you have good reason to have joy in him. This is a joy that does not rely on how good or bad things look in your life. 
Because what you have in knowing Jesus remains through whatever is going on in your life. You might be at a point where there does not seem to be much joy in your circumstances. But what you have in knowing Jesus remains through whatever is going on in your life. And and that thought of circumstances without much joy leads me on to my third snapshot of joy. Um, This one is not so upbeat, but very valuable in a world of trouble and distress. There is even joy in trials. The Apostle James in his letter starts, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And then I mentioned how Peter in his first letter talks about our living hope and our inheritance thanks to the... And he says, in all of this, in all of... I've just been talking about your hope, the resurrection of Jesus. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, even though you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. How is it possible to have joy in the midst of trials and suffering? I presume James and Peter are not commanding us to be happy. They're not telling us to pretend things are never going to be difficult or sad. I take it this joy is grounded in this one who is Saviour, Messiah, Lord, as the angel said. He is still the Saviour and the living Lord when you are struggling or suffering. He is still the one who loves you and has secured your eternal future with you. He is still the one with everything in this world and the next under his authority. He is still with you by his spirit. He is still working out his loving purposes in your life, even in times of difficulty. It it can sound a bit glib. The scriptures are not giving us sort of cheap cheerfulness or escapism, but joy in him. So I started this morning by touching on what seem to be frightening threats to joy in our world at this moment. Things that can leave us feeling really heavy-hearted. I can't imagine that Christian joy requires us to ignore all of that. Yet the angel said the birth of the Saviour is good news of great joy. What a great invitation you can embrace this joy in Jesus. You can have joy because he is alive and the power of death over his people is broken. You can have joy because you can know him and his presence and his love. You can have joy because even trials cannot destroy your hope in him or tear you apart from his love. So let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge the things that leave us feeling heavy-hearted, the things that leave us feeling joy is in pretty scarce supply, things in the world, things in our own lives, things in the lives of those we love. But we are so thankful that we are talking about good news of great joy for all people because you are Saviour, Messiah and Lord. 
please grant us your joy. May we find joy and peace, not because of our circumstances, but because of you. Thank you that you give us such great reasons to rejoice in you. Amen.